0: Equal access to justice is a core American value. In each episode of Talk Justice, an LSC podcast, we will explore ways to expand access to justice and illustrate why it is important to the legal community, business, government, and the general public. Talk Justice is sponsored by the Leaders' Council of the Legal Services Corporation. Welcome to Talk Justice, an LSC podcast. I'm Ron Flagg, president of the Legal Services Corporation. Our topic today is medical legal partnerships, often referred to as MLPs. MLPs have become a highly successful service delivery model in which medical and legal professionals collaborate to provide better health and legal services outcomes for their patients and clients. We're talking about MLPs in an academic or teaching setting today, in particular, the Georgetown University Health Justice Alliance. The Health Justice Alliance is a cross-campus collaborative that engages in research, direct service to patients and clients, and academic efforts focused on training the next generation of attorneys, doctors, nurses, and other health professionals to work together to improve social determinants of health for marginalized communities. Remember that term, I'm gonna come back to it in a moment. Our guests today are Vicki Gerard. Eileen Moore and Anna Kasten. Professor Gerard is the faculty director of the Georgetown University Health Alliance and a professor of law and legal practice at the Georgetown University Law Center. Dr. Moore is medical director of the Health Justice Alliance. She is also associate professor of medicine and family medicine and associate dean of the Georgetown University School of Medicine. Dr. Kaskin is deputy medical director of the Health Justice Alliance. She is also an assistant professor of pediatrics and the director of the Anacostia and Roosevelt School-based health centers. Welcome to all of you and thanks for being with us. Dr. Moore, let's start with you and go back to that term social determinants of health. We often use that term in explaining medical legal partnerships. What are social determinants of health?
1: There are actually two different ways that one can think about the social determinants of health. Uh, while the traditional so- social determinants of health are defined by the World Health Organization, uh, including categories of income, education, occupation, social class, gender, race and ethnicity. More recent literature has revealed that really only about 20 percent of a person's health is related to their interaction with the healthcare system. So the vast majority of health is dependent upon where we live, work, play, pray. For example, housing is a significant determinant of health. If you live in subpar housing that has mold or mildew, it may be impossible to adequately treat your asthma.
0: Thanks. So zip code can determine health outcomes. Indeed. Dr. Kaskin, most people don't think of lawyers and doctors collaborating. When I was growing up and going to law school, people you know, thought about malpractice. That was the, the uh, going either way, uh, that was the first thought uh, when doctors and lawyers uh, came to mind at the same time. But uh, we're talking about a collaboration here. How is legal care related
2: to health? It's a great question. Um, it's not always that obvious. I think in some cases, um, it becomes clear that light bulb will go off when you hear an explanation like Dr. Moore just gave about asthma, for example, that kind of makes sense that you know, you have a healthcare problem, but you need a lawyer to help you um, surmount that. Um, but it's not always clear. For example, we had a student um, who was, began having these sudden onset um, seizure-like episodes and they were really disruptive for her. They were happening in class, they were happening during her sports competitions. Um, and she would go to the ER and they would recommend that you follow up with a specialist but at the time she was living with her aunt who did not have legal custody of her. Um, She was able to get care in the ER, um, but the the aunt wasn't able to sign her consent forms. Her mom was deceased and her father was incarcerated, so she was kind of stuck in a bind. Our legal partners were able to get temporary emergency guardianship for the aunt to be able to sign those consent forms so she could see the, the specialists and get the medications that she needed. Um, Ultimately, they did get her um, permanent custody of the child. So it was really a life-changing situation for her.
0: Thanks. So Professor Gerard, MLPs, in a sense, formalize and institutionalize the kind of relationship that uh, Dr. Kaskin just described. Can you you tell us more about MLPs? Uh, What is an MLP and how common are they and what are their typical settings?
3: So, um, I mean, I think both Dr. Moore and Dr. Kaskin gave us uh, a little bit of insight into why these are such valuable partnerships. Um, And the integration of the lawyer into the healthcare team is really kind of the cornerstone of a a good medical-legal partnership. I think what people don't really understand all the time is that the patients that people like Dr. Moore and Dr. Kaskin are treating, they often either don't know that they have a legal right or they know they have a legal right, but they don't know how to enforce it. And, or there should be a legal right um, that doesn't exist yet. And in all of those situations, we as lawyers and people that are committed to offering legal services, we can use those trusted spaces that people have with their doctors and their healthcare providers to get to people early so it's really trying to go upstream and provide access to justice for people that wouldn't normally seek out lawyers um, and that's why really that that having that partnership and oftentimes having on-site lawyers who are actually part of the healthcare treatment team can be such a powerful Model of of both health and legal care, um, and there are um, we we didn't make this up at at Georgetown. There uh, there are over 450 medical legal partnerships across the country. They occur in all kinds of settings, including in hospitals, federally qualified healthcare centers. are are a, a big user of of MLP services, veterans hospitals, um, but there are quite a number and a growing number that are in academic institutions. And so um, that's that's what we were really kind of striving for here at, at Georgetown when we started.
0: Well, that's a, a great segue into some questions about the uh, Georgetown University Health Justice Alliance as really a paradigm for MLPs in an academic setting. Professor Gerard, what motivated you to establish an MLP at Georgetown and how is the uh, Justice Alliance different from other MLPs. You mentioned a, quite a number of different settings. I
3: think uh, you, when you when you were introducing us, you mentioned this idea of training the next generation, um, and I hadn't heard of the medical legal partnership model until about ten years ago. And when I heard about it, I thought, well, this this is an upstream method of of caring for patients and clients, and it seemed like a really powerful opportunity in my mind to move even further upstream by teaching our law and medical and nursing and other students to work together while they were still in school and developing those professional identities. And I started thinking, um, and very much like you, I I grew up in that generation where lawyers and doctors were on opposite ends of the spectrum and and rarely did they cross, cross paths unless it was a bad situation. Um, And so we wanted to really try and give our students the opportunity to um, learn how to work together, learn to trust each other, learn about each other's professions while they were still in school with us. And so that was kind of the the primary motivation in starting, starting the Health Justice Alliance. And on top of that, what made me really excited at the time was that in a university setting, we could also bring to bear. The research and other evaluation resources that we have, which is one of the places where medical legal partnerships have struggled in terms of how do we prove that what we're doing is really having an impact on our patients and long-term healthcare outcomes and access to justice issues. And I thought universities, I mean, that's what we're we're designed to do is to contribute in those ways to the field. So I wanted to try and take advantage of that at Georgetown.
0: Well, as a funder, uh, I can tell you you're your focus and thinking about outcomes is terrific. All too often, we're trying to convince Congress or uh, other public funders and private funders of the value of legal services and legal aid. And uh, having rigorous outcome data is is rare. And uh, when we have it uh, really is a powerful advocacy tool. Uh, Dr. Moore, what kinds of clinical learning settings and experiences can MLPs create for medical
1: students? Very rich opportunities. Uh, the very interesting part of the Health Justice Alliance is the depth and breadth of what comes of it for our students. And so in the classroom, we have law students and law faculty teaching medical students and medical faculty. We have medical students and medical faculty, teaching law students and law faculty. And that very rich interdisciplinary collaboration just bolsters the learning on both sides, takes it to a new level. Uh, Really lots of light bulbs going off and the learning environment extends beyond the classroom, beyond the Health Justice Alliance seminar per se. Uh, So a recent case that comes to mind, the law students really mentored the medical students in giving testimony and the law student, the medical student went together to testify before city council and actually affected a policy change that benefited the patient slash client they were working with.
0: Professor Gerard, how does it look from perspective of of law students in the law school?
3: So the law students, um, as Dr. Moore described, they're in this this law clinic together and they have the advantage of really working side by side with uh, fourth year medical students who spend one to two months of their formal rotation periods in their final year embedded in the law clinic. Um, And so the, the law students get the opportunity to really understand when they're filing or working on a special education case, for example, in the school, to understand from the medical students, what does this child's diagnosis actually mean? And how can we use that information to support the accommodation that we're requesting. So there's really an opportunity there for the lawyers to do their work better because they have this medical information. Uh, Beyond that, we've been super fortunate that we have um, MedStar Health as our academic medical center at Georgetown. And so currently in the the context of trying to create clinical learning environments where students can really get hands-on an MLP experience. We've been um, growing the number of MLPs at Washington Hospital Center. So we currently have one serving cancer patients, one that's working with perinatal, and one that's working with uh, victims of community violence. And each one of those MLPs creates opportunities for our students to come together and contribute to the work. So from the moment we start a new MLP, we put in teams of law, medical, and nursing students to do the needs assessment, to talk to the providers and get a sense of where are your patients getting stuck um, in terms of accessing healthcare or being able to focus on their own health? And what are the things, what are the legal issues um, that are coming up that we might be able to help with? So from the very, very start, the students are working together in those environments and, and seeing how this collaborative model can
0: can operate and improve everyone's health and well-being. Dr. Kaskin, as I said before, really, where the rubber hits the road for any legal aid program or any uh, health care initiative is what is the effect on patients? What is the effect on outcomes for uh, clients? Could Could you talk about the Justice Alliance's effects on patient experiences and on outcomes, particularly for patients living in poverty uh, here in the District of Columbia?
2: I think that one of the things that we found has been um, that our ability to bring the legal services into the community, into the clinic, into the schools has really helped us build trust with families so that we're able to have those conversations and and help them sort of uncover those issues uh, that they may need help from a lawyer. Uh, We had one family that was um, led by the grandmother as a head of household. Um, and the student came and let us know that there were some issues. Their utilities had been turned off, but grandmother was embarrassed to really reach out for help and let anybody know that she had fallen behind on her payments. Um, having her be able to come into the school, into the clinic, which was a safe space for her, um, helped break down those barriers and, and help her just to begin to trust us and talk about these issues so that we were able to connect her with a lawyer. Um, we brought the, the legal team into the clinic to work with her and meet her there. Um, So that was another case where we were were able to really um, help a family out. Um, One of the other things that we've seen is that as you begin to raise awareness among the clinic staff, you have more and more people who are able to spot health-harming legal needs. So it really does tend to have a ripple effect in terms of how people can help connect families with um, the legal services they need.
0: as we've said at the outset, uh, a distinguishing feature of the uh, Justice Alliance is its uh, setting at a great university uh, in the middle of our nation's capital, and that enables you all to have an effect not just on your current patients and uh, clients, but on the subsequent professional work of the students with whom you train. So, Professor Gerard, could you talk about those subsequent professional experiences and you know patient and client care subsequently. What's been your experience in that regard? Sure.
3: Well, and I can speak mostly in terms of the the law students especially. And I think in kind of our, you know, trying to achieve the goals that we have, one of them for the students is that in terms of their professional work, we want them to be making these law and health connections in ways that they will carry into their professional lives, wherever they go, whether it's in their ability to uh, work and collaborate interprofessionally, whether it's in identifying how law can be a tool for health. um, Those are all all key. More directly related to the MLP model, um, what we're really uh, excited about is that we have seen, even in the short time that we've been um, in existence, that our law student graduates, those who have come out of the the HJA law clinic are now actually seeking positions in medical legal partnerships. And over the past two years, we've had four of those uh, graduating law students obtain Equal Justice Works fellowships in medical legal partnership settings. So two of them are actually staying at the Health Justice Alliance and working at Washington Hospital Center with our cancer patients. One is going to the University of Chicago to start a violence intervention program, MLP there. And the fourth is staying here in BC and going to legal aid and we'll also be working with our new um, victims of community violence program at Hospital Center. So I think for a uh, you know for those of us that are in the or operate in the equal justice works field, that's a pretty impressive setting or placement for four students in, in two years
0: that is impressive uh, dr. Moore how about the effects on on medical school graduates both short term and long
1: term the benefit for the medical graduates is very very high impact benefit um, really expands the toolbox for them as young physicians coming into practice to be able to work with their patients generally when you know a physician, asks a medical history and the social history portion of the medical history, uh, that discussion becomes truncated a bit because there has in the past been this feeling of, well, if I ask these questions and don't have any way to intervene or help, what is the point? Now we can dig deep with those patients. We can go into those social determinants of health because we have a toolbox working with our law colleagues to be able to address these health harming social determinants of health. And so, specifically in our med graduates, I think we're building an appetite for our graduates to want to collaborate with lawyers in their practice and really value that uh, partnership because we've clearly seen and clearly demonstrated that we can both do better if we work together.
0: I know, again, from professional experience that any legal or healthcare initiative, the uh, key question is going to be funding. Uh, you can have a, a great model. That you know in your heart is a great model, but you have to persuade somebody—a university, Congress, a state legislature, the city council, private funders—that what you're working on, your idea, is going to make a difference for people. Professor Gerard, can you tell us about the funding for the uh, Georgetown University Health uh, Justice Alliance? Sure.
3: So we've been we've been super fortunate to have institutional support who. Um, on both the medical and the law side, so so deans and our executive VPs who I who have recognized the value of this teaching model for students, um, and so we've had substantial funding from them in terms of expanding our MLPS. We've also been fortunate to uh, to be able to get some grants and DC government uh, funding, and it's interesting because it's the healthcare providers who are approaching us saying. We've heard about your work. We want this for our patients. Who can we ask um, for funding to help support legal services? Um, So that's been super rewarding that that they are really diving in and partnering with us on those kinds of funding requests. Um, And I think just more generally, I mean, you know, MLPs across the country, we're always going to fully support LSC funding requests um, and, and increasing Funding for legal services in whatever realm uh, we can possibly do. Uh, I think, you know, demonstrating and and one of the things, or one of our missions at Georgetown is to show other academic institutions the value of this so that we can get other um, institutional support for this kind of teaching and learning um, experience. Um, and, And also, as you said, you know, by adding to some of the impact research and evaluation. And and we are at, at Georgetown measuring the impact that we have on our learners, our students. We're measuring the impact that we have on the providers in terms of we all know nurses are burnt out right now. Does it help them to have an additional team member? Do they feel more um, productive and feel that some of what they're doing is more rewarding sometimes? Um, and then obviously the patient impact. So. Measuring things like our cancer patients missing fewer appointments because they're able to focus more specifically on their treatment when they don't have these other social drivers uh, of health standing in the way. Um, And so I think, you know, for the the future of academic MLPs, you know, we're super interested in kind of even at the federal level, what kinds of contributions might be worthwhile um, at the local level with foundations and um, always calling on our wonderful pro bono partners and law firms, um, corporate clients to support the kind of work that they're doing um, in things like the Equal Justice Works Fellowship Program, which is a really nice model for, for students.
0: I always like to uh, close on a, a positive note and uh, it's, there's been nothing but positive notes on this uh, podcast, but uh, I'd like to ask each of you in thinking about Uh, your own program and thinking about other MLPs, what what are the measurements of success? What tells you that a program is successful? Dr. Moore, let's start with you. What should be the measurements of success for the uh, Health Justice Alliance and other
1: MLPs? I think that learner outcomes drive patient outcomes. And so a recent graduate of the School of Medicine characterized this Perfectly in a nutshell. Basically, he said, "I think of my attorney colleagues like any other specialty consultation service. If I diagnose a patient having, you know, appendicitis and in need of an appendectomy, I'm going to call my surgical colleagues and ask them to intervene and help me out. Same thing goes when I diagnose a social determinant of health that is health harming that has a legal remedy." I should, again, be able to just pick up the phone, reach out to my legal colleague, consult them like any other specialty colleague, and then be able to work together to have better patient and client outcomes. Dr. Kaskin, your thoughts?
2: I work in grant-funded clinics, Um, so I always think about the deliverables um, that are attached to, to the grants, and one of those is to increase graduation rates from high school which turns out is actually very hard to measure because <laughs> there are so many factors that go into it. But when I see an individual patient of ours walk across the stage, that tells me that we're probably doing things pretty well. Um, and I'll give you my last example. I've given you patient examples so far. We had a teenager who had you know, really some incredible hurdles to cross before she could graduate from high school. And when we first met her, she was pregnant. Uh, She was living in a situation um, that was unsafe, really just to keep a roof over her head. And we consulted our legal partners and they were able to help her obtain vital documents so that she could obtain safe housing and public benefits. And with all that support, she was actually able to graduate on time, which is amazing. We know that um, teen pregnancy increases your likelihood to be living in poverty for the mother and the child, and that usually starts with not finishing high school. So watching her walk across the stage was a huge moment for um, all of our staff in the clinic.
0: That's such a powerful example. Thanks for sharing it. Professor Gerard, we'll give you the final word. What are your uh, measurements of success?
3: Well, thank you, um, and thank you for hosting us here today. It's been really a pleasure to get to talk to you and talk about our work. Um, My team knows I always go super big and I usually end on my goals for world domination. So I always say I really I want I want lawyers to be embedded in in healthcare practices everywhere where we have patients who struggle, who are historically intentionally marginalized and vulnerable in so many ways. And so I think for me, the success is that the more we can increase the ties and understanding between access to justice and overall health and well-being, um, that we will have achieved much of what we hope to in terms of, of uh, improving equity a- across society. Um, and I think to Dr. Moore's point, my I always tell my med students that when they graduate and they're interviewing for their residency, I want every single one of them to be asking, well, do you have a lawyer on your team? Because I cannot practice medicine without a lawyer. So I think, I think that's my final words of success.
0: Well, uh, you know, from your lips to uh, the funder's ears, uh, and I want to uh, thank Vicki Gerard, Eileen Moore, and Anna Kaskin for joining Talk Justice today. But far more importantly, uh, thank you for your leadership in developing and expanding and so well serving our community here in Washington, D.C., the Georgetown University Health Justice Alliance is really uh, a cornerstone of uh, a service in our community. And I am hopeful that your model will serve as a blueprint for other academic-based MLPs across the country. And I'm hopeful that this podcast will inspire others to uh, follow your lead. So again, thanks for your leadership and thanks for being with us today. Podcast guest speakers' views, thoughts, and opinions are solely their own and do not necessarily represent the Legal Services Corporation's views, thoughts, or opinions. The information and guidance discussed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as legal advice. You should not make decisions based on this podcast content without seeking legal or other professional advice.